Welcome, everyone, to the Ag Market Network. Uh, this is the special Friday, January 13th edition of our program. I'm Pat McClatchy. Our program is brought to you, as it, it always is, by Bayer Crop Science. Uh, leading us today will be Dr. John Robinson. Uh, he uh, will be joined by Dr. O.A. Cleveland and Kip Butts. Gerald Nieper, a regular member of our panel, uh, is on the road and is not able to be with us today. Uh, so, uh, John, thanks for leading us off today. Well, you're welcome. Good morning and Happy New Year to everybody. So to begin with, with the USDA report, the new numbers that we had come out uh, yesterday, we had some surprises and we had some, um, I guess, bearish, slightly more bearish pictures painted. So beginning with the world numbers, uh, the adjustment in the world numbers was dominated by increases in production, which we saw in the U.S., which I'll talk about in a second. We also saw it in China, where they had a million bale increase in production, which they credited to just finding more bales out there in the northwest Xinjiang province. Um, and and those increases in the U.S. and China outweighed the, um, what would have been a decent reduction in uh, Pakistan of 350,000 bales. Um, we also saw some smaller adjustments in the world numbers that included um, the trade uh, import and export categories both went up roughly 300,000 bales and there was what was a net small uh, decrease in world consumption of 150,000 bales but that was included reductions in Turkey and Mexico which weren't that big they caught my eye just because those are important trading partners of ours um, but it also involved big trade-offs that offset each other, a, a rather large decrease in Indian consumption, which was offset by a rather large increase in Chinese. Um, but like I said, it, it amounted to 150,000 uh, fewer uh, in world consumption. There was a very small uh, adjustment to world carry-in, so the bottom line of all those effects was um, increasing world stocks, uh, 1.5 million bales, which you know, that's that's month to month. That's uh, um, not trivial. I don't think um, it, it's a, it's a bearish number. Although we've been we've been up here in these stratospheric levels of high ending stocks, you know, for years now. So uh, I don't know that it would really shock anybody. But but there it is. According to theory and history, I would think there'd be uh, pressure on the markets from from that kind of an adjustment. And on the U.S. side, we also had some bearish numbers come out, and it's not that the magnitude of the changes was that that big, so much as that it I, it was a surprise. It was a surprise to me. Um, namely, um, I'd already mentioned that we've, we've they found more production. They increased U.S. production 435,000 bales, and okay, so that's from December to now. Um, you got to also remind yourself that uh, we had a 130,000 bale increase in November and a 360,000 bale increase in December. So this is kind of a growing trend, and that all adds up to a rather you know big chunk of production. A big crop is getting bigger. Big crop is getting bigger. I personally wasn't really looking for another production uh, increase, and I base that solely on the calendar. You know these things tend to wind down this time of year. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, I, I, I should have been expecting it, I guess. It makes it perfectly reasonable that we would have um, an adjustment this time of the year because we had, uh, in Texas particularly, we had late rains 
We had late bowls set. We had a late Indian summer to mature those bowls. So it you know, kind of makes sense that there'd be a late crop coming in and we'd be late counting it, but, but, but we are. And uh, maybe we'll have a few more. I'm sure we probably will have a little bit more tinkering. I don't know if we have any more big uh, um, adjustments uh, like this one, but we'll have to see. Um, but that was a pretty big thing, and so then uh, accompanying it, we had a 200,000, uh, or sorry, 300,000 bale increase in projected U.S. exports compared to the December report, and that, uh, that's also a trend because the December raised it 200,000 bales over the November, uh, so that's been coming up, and that, you know, you can expect that from two things. Number one, when you have more production, you have more exportable surpluses, so that's that's one reason to raise exports. I think the reason everybody was everybody had though was just to keep up with recent trends. We've had we've had strong export sales, and so everybody was looking for um, an upward adjustment solely based on that. So really, the attitude going into this report was is that it was going to be bullish, not really thinking about a production increase, but thinking about a, a uh, increase in uh, exports would uh, you know we'd be whittling away at ending stocks, and, and instead it flipped and we, we had an increase in ending stocks of uh, 200,000 bales from 4.8 to 5 million. So I think the surprise of it was, you know, as, as jarring as anything. Uh, and the market reacted. I forget what we were, pad down 80 points yesterday. Um, anyway, the market reflected uh, reflected that surprise. Uh, so that, that kind of sums up the... Um, the WASD, uh, what I want to spend the balance of my time doing is comparing, really comparing the old crop and new crop outlooks, which, you know, if you compare and contrast them, I'm, I'm going to tell you in advance that I'm, I'm seeing lots of similarities uh, between them. Um, it's that time of the year that we, that, you know, a lot of outlook is getting uh, formulated, presented. We're all, I remember, remember this panel is traveling around riding and delivering outlooks and and we usually kick off the year going to Beltwide, where there's a, a lot of opinions uh, thrown around, a lot of presentations made. Uh, for what it's worth, I, I went to Beltwide with a certain viewpoint, and I came away kind of reinforced in that viewpoint, which is perhaps a little scary, um, suggesting either we're all uh, we're all correct, or um, or maybe we're all sort of blinded by the bias of recent history. I don't know. Uh, and I'll leave it up to the panel to sort of maybe think outside the box for me. But nevertheless, I, I went to Beltline with a certain view. I came away with that view, and to top it off, that the view I have of 17 is kind of pretty much the same view, the same forces, the same influences I see operating in 16. So I want to take a, take a look at, at those particular things. Uh, one thing that um, you know everybody at Beltline would point out uh, in terms of making progress is that is that we are making progress. We've come... come We've got a long ways to go, but we're making progress in terms of the world ending stocks numbers coming down. You know, this current marketing year is like two big stair steps down in, in um, the lowering of world ending stocks from record high levels two years ago. And the expectation that I heard at Beltwide and the one that I also have is that, uh, is that that's going to continue. In particular, that uh, seeing in 16 where we flipped uh, and had world consumption exceeding production for the first time in a number of years and whittling away at um, reserves, that that's going to continue. And, and most notably, the USDA speaker
sector at Beltwide throughout that tentative projection. They'll obviously refine it by the time of their Outlook conference and, and by the time of their May projections. But even with the slow growth, which they expect to continue, the slow growth in demand, and even with an increase likely in world acres, they're still expecting um, consumption, world consumption to exceed production and to continue to whittle away at ending stocks and continue to make progress. So that's that's good to hear. Uh, I was happy to have that thought confirmed by the presentations that I heard there. Um, focusing a little bit more on the demand influences, um, you know, there's a number of things that we can kind of look at. And again, the, all the ones, most of the ones I'm looking at and thinking about are, I don't see much different. I don't see how 17 is going to be much different than what we're seeing being influential in 16. So to begin with, you know, you look at the broad indicators of demand, um, you know, the growth in GDP, which is the growth in the economy. Um, and, uh, you know, that continues to be slow. Um, and I expect it to continue to be slow. And I heard a great presentation by the head of Cotton Incorporated, Barry Worsham. He was talking about a little, he was getting into the weeds statistically about uh, the, the different things they use to project demand. But you know, his, his summary comment was, you know, it's, it's still kind of a slow go deal, and we don't expect that to change. Now, one thing, one thing that you might call an emerging issue, and OA uh, presented this, and his he spoke at a luncheon and gave outlook, and he said, you know, watch for the Trump effect, the so-called Trump effect on on the general economy, and I think what he was referring to, there's what they've been calling the Trump effect since the election on financial markets, on the stock markets. They've, they've all been up. And then there's also um, speculation about what a Trump administration might be able to pull off with Congress in terms of, say, tax cuts, which would be stimulative and hopefully would might stir up consumer sentiment towards, you know, buying more stuff. So tax cuts would be one thing, or or uh, spending, just federal spending on uh, infrastructure and things like that, which might have, you know, inflationary pressures and, and might uh, benefit commodities in general. That All that remains to be seen, uh, whether those policy, uh, stimulative policy moves can, can be made. But if they were, then, then we might have reason to think that there might be some improvement in the otherwise kind of slow growth economic picture. Uh, other demand aspects that are I think are similar between the two marketing years, uh, the current and going forward. One would be Chinese import demands. You know, there was some, not as much talk about China because the China situation appears to be, uh, you know, kind of on a certain course. You know, what the Chinese did in 2016, everybody is expecting them to repeat. I'm expecting them to repeat it because I think they're trying to be transparent for one thing in the way they've laid out this policy and done it so far. So I think they're going to try to do the very same thing. And it was successful in bringing down their stocks. So I think they're going to do the very same thing. So whatever influence the China policy had on the market this year, I think it's going to be around for the following uh, crop year, too. Uh, currency influences, we've you know, had this record strong dollar situation. I, I kind of expect that to continue, although, the, again, there could be some opposing forces. If, if the Federal Reserve pushes interest rates up another time or two, well, all things being equal, that would probably support the dollar. Then, on the other hand, if a Trump administration starts 
spending, you know, increases federal spending, increases the deficit that might weaken the dollar. I don't know which one's going to happen, but we're at very high levels now, and it's a bit of a headwind for ag, especially export ag commodities, and so we'll continue to watch that. Um, speculative money influences, that's kind of a pseudo-demand consideration, but, you know, they were the big influence on upward volatility this year. You know, if you think slow, you got slow slow demand, uh, the demand side isn't pulling up on the market so much. Um, what the, the biggest price spike we had back in July and August was a spec-driven thing, I think. And I think that influence, you know, the specs are here to stay, and this upcoming year is going to be a little drier. So there could easily, in my mind, be situations where, you know, it could happen around planting, it could happen around crop emergence in June, early development, it could happen in July and August. But we could have weather markets develop and the specs come rev it up. And again, to my way of thinking, the major source of upward volatility and the opportunities for futures getting over 75 cents would probably be from that. But just like in 2016, if it happens, I don't expect it to sustain itself you know, or last more than a week or two or three. Um, so there's that, the speculative influence. Uh, the competition situation with man-made fibers, you know, is a long-term thing, and I think it's still going to be with us. Although we've seen some progress, you know, in the sense of uh, polyester prices rising, in the sense they're still cheaper than cotton prices, and so that's still going to be an issue. And lastly, U.S. exports. U.S. exports is sort of the the bright picture in the in the demand consideration. They've been strong. Um, there seems to me when I look at a chart, which I'm looking at right now, there's a, there seems like there was an upward shift uh, in the latter part of 2016. Uh, we were range-bound, then there was this price spike. It came back down, then we were range-bound at a higher level. And we we were making decent export sales at those higher prices, which, again, suggests kind of an outward shift in demand. So that's good. Now, there's some underlying things I think are involved with that. Number one, that we were this year, we just have never very good quality crop, and people are coming to us to get it. Um, and that's good, and it's, uh, a lot of people are getting good, uh, very good uh, premiums for good colors and strength and stable length, and that's great. But the quality this year, um, you know, there's some aspects of, by virtue of the varieties we plant, that, you know, the potential is there to, to have that kind of quality. But a lot of it, particularly the color grades, you know, is a function of the weather. And I don't know what the weather, I don't know how it's going to rain on the 17 crop. I don't know what the harvest season will be like. I have no idea. So... Uh, there's no necessary connection between a good quality on the 16 crop, which is kind of buoying our exports, and what might happen in 17. It may not carry over into 17, which is hard to see. Uh, there's a few other aspects to to the export situation. There's some what I'll call unusual or non-ordinary foreign situations, and I'm thinking of India. Um, I'm thinking of India's um, diplomatic spat with Pakistan that, that kind of put a damper on some exports that were happening from India to Pakistan, and then India had this currency thing, which I don't fully understand, but anyway, it's, uh, they've sort of thrown a wrench into their cash uh, uh, economy and really hurt, from all stories, hurt their uh, cotton economy by so doing. Uh, if that, I don't know if that situation is going to endure. It's, it's, it's definitely kind of messed up their, their exports, and I think we have been filling the gap in that somewhat, and that's good. Will that persist into the 17-year? I don't don't have any idea. Uh, but there are also some 
ordinary foreign situations that play into our ex the demand for our exports. And I'm thinking of the competition of Brazil and Australia. It's going to kick in in the spring. So um, there's all, all that kind of stuff. And then one other wild card that I don't know how to size up, frankly, but um, you know, there's a lot of saber rattling during the election, uh, during the campaign season about uh, trade relations with China and Mexico and, and uh, what might happen if uh, Mr. Trump gets elected. Well, now he has been. And the saber rattling involves, like I say, two of our historically biggest uh, destinations for U.S. cotton. Uh, so, it, you know, I'm not saying anything's going to happen, but if I wouldn't want anything to happen in terms of trade relations with them that, you know, likely would involve, like, manufactured goods or something like that. Uh, but cotton may get caught up in it. There's a precedent for ag exports to get messed up by uh, trade spats about other other kinds of export goods. Um, we wouldn't want to see that happen. I just, I'll just leave it with that. That's, that's, that's a wild card that's out there in terms of uh, U.S. cotton export demand. Um, so those are some hard-to-predict uh, 2017 trends. I, I don't know how much of the strong export demand situation that we have currently will carry over into the next year. That's, that, to me, is a, is a big question. Um, what else? Oh, in OA's presentation, he, he was the only one that pointed this out. Uh, also, the influence, upcoming influence, of the imbalance in uh, the uh, on-call sales uh, situation, which might lead to some upward volatility, some fireworks, I would guess, in late February and late April and late June. Um, that might pull up on those contracts, but it would be, you know, if that was to happen, uh, number one, I don't know that that situation would carry into the new year or not, uh, other than, um, well, I don't know that it would carry in, but I'm, I'm thinking uh, if, if those kinds of things were to happen and if the old co contracts um, have some upward volatility associated with that, um, it'll, it'll be just, it'll be similar to the speculative effect. It'll be a quick, non-durable kind of thing. You know, prices may come up. I don't expect them to last that long. And when that contract matures, then that situation will calm down. So we may have that kind of thing. So I would say the same thing to growers. If, if that's a part of our marketing situation, in the upcoming months, you, you have to be nimble and you have to be quick. It's just like a speculative move. This, the, the volatility that we're likely to have is from sources like that. That doesn't last all that long, and you have to take advantage of it quickly, either forward contracting or hedging. And that's assuming that if the old crop contracts go up, that it pulls up on on new crop December. Uh, last thing I want to say. So 17... Um, some other differences. You know, 17 is slated to be drier. It's drier right now. I think we are officially, from NOAA's classification, in a La Nina situation, which tends to be drier and warmer. Um, I think the forecast is for that La Nina to trans uh, to switch to neutral. But the three-month outlook through March is is drier and warmer. Um, they were, I was at a presentation in Lubbock the other day where the weatherman was, uh, he was calling for this big rain event, ice event that's going to happen right now. Um, he was counting on that to provide, you know, a lot of the moisture for the foreseeable future. Um, so that, that kind of told a somewhat negative story right there of you know, how it's dry. And so I'm thinking about that possibility in, in my balance sheet 
the tentative balance sheet um, um, exercise for the 17 crop, um, because of all the anecdotal discussions of uh, anecdotal at this point of uh, greater acreage, and I man, I've heard that all over Texas, and we heard that at Beltline with the cotton grower survey that came out, um, and we're waiting on the Cotton Council's survey, and then the March 31 survey. So all those benchmarks are ahead of us. Um, but the expectation certainly is for more acres. I'm thinking 11.5 would be a pretty um, uh, reasonable number. But if we, even if we have higher planted acreage, I'm thinking um, we'll probably have a little higher than average abandonment. If abandonment's been 11 or 12 percent is the average, I would put it at about 15. And uh, I think I took an average yield of uh, the recent five years, excluding 11, and that came up with something under 800 pounds. Uh, per acre. So if you do all that, you come up with a supply that's kind of roughly close to to the 16 supply, 20, a little over 20 million bales. And then assuming we don't have any trade wars situations and that exports are at a similar level as they are now, it's pretty easy to pencil out basically a, a 5 million bale uh, ending stocks number for the 17 crop, which is you know right in line with where we are right now, and uh, basically a fundamental rationale for a similar Price range. Um, uh, that's 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 how I'm looking at it um, right now. So, given that for the 17 for December 17 futures, Pat, I would be projecting. You know, I'd give myself a little width here to account for uncertainties, but I would I'd say 63 on the low side, 78 on the high side, with anything over 75 being somewhat fleeting. You know, in response to weather market rallies that are, uh, you know where the specs are a catalyst. Um, that's pretty much what I'm looking at. From an insurance standpoint, uh, South Texas has already established their insurance price, and the other parts of Texas are going to be you know, probably in the low 70s, probably between 70 and 72, unless there's a big rally in February. Um, and we'll just have to watch those other influences of uh, the trade relations with uh, Mexico and China and the macro economy situations. Pat, that's pretty much all I had uh, to say on that, so I'll hand it off to the panel and uh, see their reactions. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, OA, did OA ever join us? Okay. Well, uh, let's see. Kip, you got well, any observations? Well, for what it's worth, I think that uh, John did an excellent job just recapping just about everything. I had some notes I was going to cover when uh when it became my turn, but John managed to cover just about every one of those as well. And uh, but there is are a couple of comments that kind of play into what uh, what John was uh, was talking about. One is uh, there's a bit of uncertainty right now in a lot of people's mind, included that under the Trump administration's uh, cabinet picks, there's not yet an ag secretary. Uh, some people are commenting that that may be an indication of how. The president-elect views agriculture on the whole scheme of things. That, uh, although we oftentimes don't see that as being kind of a big deal, if it's a low priority for him, it gets to be a low priority for Congress. And there are a lot of things that need to be covered for ag over the next uh, few years. And I hope, and this is nothing other than just the observation that I think this is the last cabinet uh, post that hasn't been filled. Unless it's been done overnight, and I didn't hear about it. But uh, what are, who, who are the, some of the leading candidates, Kip or John, that you've heard? 
the governor of Georgia uh, is is one. Um, Many people she, tell me that he may be the front runner at this point. Yeah, but there's a lot of uncertainty with that. I'm what sorry. would he be? I would assume he would be friendly for to agriculture. He's from a he's from a grain and cotton farming operation background, so I would I would think that would be good. That's been the consensus that I've heard. Yes. And okay. Shoot, I've forgotten the other. The the one encouraging thing I've heard on that front is that uh, Trump did have, um, you know, an ag advisory uh, group, and Congressman Conaway from Texas um, is um, was a member of that group. So I, you know, I, I hope there's um, um, positive and relevant influence uh, coming from sources uh, like that. Sure hope so. Well, uh, you know, about three weeks ago, <clears throat> old crop cotton was trading at 69.32. About a week ago, it had gotten up to 75.37. So it had about a 500-point rally. Is that the new range for old crop cotton, do we think? I think we have more upside in old crop than that, actually. And the reason why I say that, I'm going to go back to uh, – well, I shouldn't say that's a forecast. That's the potential. This on-call sales position has really uh, it gets it seems to get larger just about every week, and uh, it's a bit disconcerting that uh, that is essentially a mill bet on a short thinking the prices are going to go down. That's not. I mean, that's oversimplified, but that's generally the way it's viewed. And I'm afraid we, we may get in a spot where these mills have to cover. The specs, and actually, Pat, you mentioned something in the last minute. It keeps, every time I think about this, your comment pops in my mind, uh, that these specs have a, a long time frame that they can just stay with it. And I get the impression that the spec community recognizes this on-call position and is thinking, uh, there's a little expression, you know, if there's blood in the water, we're going to make sure. Well, I think we may be in that scenario. Um, I think some mills may get caught short. That may impact uh, the demand structure for U.S. cotton uh, later in this marketing year if that situation doesn't resolve itself. Um, I don't know, uh, John, if you've given that much thought, but well, the last you know, time I'm, we were in that scenario, it, it didn't turn out so well. Yeah. I've You know, I've tracked the discrepancies between unfixed call sales and unfixed call purchases and and in the past you know they've sometimes been associated with some real fireworks and then at other times there have been some large discrepancies that just sort of resolved themselves and right. I don't know I don't know if that's because mills were using options that didn't wasn't reflected in this or or if the or if it you know just the whole thing got resolved you know through physicals or I don't I don't know mm-hmm. um but but the discrepancies are certainly there. I mean, they're pretty notable. You know, in the March, it's seven to one, and ten to one in the May, and pushing twenty to one in the July. So, um, I, you know, the possibility is there. And, and what's in my mind is sort of I've, I've been thinking lately of kind of perfect storms, good and bad. The perfect storm for higher prices is what if what if this uh, July on-call discrepancy, you know, re- really leads to a big surge in buying of July, you know, happening in the month of June, and what if that just happens to coincide with some kind of a, you know, it's dry and, you know, headlines about, you know, 
tough conditions and then the specs get in just on, you know, they're getting it for that reason. They're getting it because they're paying attention to the on-call report. Um, you know, you could have two factors at work kind of jet fuel on on uh, old crop prices there, which, uh, you know, had to, to answer your first point, you know, I think 70, it could go over 75. I just don't think, it, you know, it would endure all that long, but right. you know, we, I think we could have prices up to 78. All right, well, here's a question that many farmers are asking, and they're, they're, they look at what's happened with old crop. They're aware there's going to be a lot of cotton planted for next year, so their question is what do they do, even at this early stage, about next year? So have we got any thoughts on that about when they sh- should consider hedging? Is there a level? You know, I think we got to around 72.35, I believe, on that last run-up. When old crop r- rallied, it took new crop with it. So I, I, let's talk about that, about opportunities that farmers might have due to this situation in old crop that they can take advantage of. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I was I was having dinner with uh, some growers the other day, and you know, one of them, one of them was reflecting on something OA said. OA kind of stood out there on at Meltwide in his luncheon speech and said, you know, if you've got, you know, he was saying contract a good chunk of your cotton. That's what he was saying. New crop. Contract mm-hmm. a good chunk of it now. Um, and so this grower took that to heart, and he told me that he sold, forward contracted, um, like 400 bales. And he's a big irrigated grower, so he can do that, and, you know, he can deliver it. Um, but in, in the context of that, he said, yeah, and I did it for 300 under or 400 under December. And I'm like, man, <laughs> if, 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 if those terms are out there right now, if the good basis you know, we have a good basis on old crop right now because of quality, but if that's somehow spilling over into next year, um, I, I would be taking advantage of some of that. You know, again, if I was a reliable irrigated grower, I could I could come up with the bales. I would I would definitely be uh, selling some of that early, especially if uh, if it was at you know as good a terms as that. You know, ordinary basis out there is six or seven, and um, uh, that sounded really good. Beyond that, um, I've been looking recently just at, uh, you know, puts and put spreads. You know, a put is something near the money, like a 70, um, has been going for a little under four cents. But a 70-63 put spread you can get for maybe three. No, that's not right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Two, Two something. Anyway, uh, folks could be shopping. I would say folks should be shopping for um, for that kind of protection. You know, if there's a rally, um, I would I would think about putting on some uh, some option spreads like that. I'd so a combination of a combination of forward contracting, looking at options or whatever tool that might feel comfortable with, especially on a rally, would would probably be a yes. good idea. Yeah. Right. Couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, we uh, advise our uh, to do 30% at 71.50. Uh, of course, the market went a little higher than that, and we felt pretty good about getting it as it came right back down. But um, I agree with John. I mean, and and OA and others who have made the same kind of statement. Um, your comment earlier, Pat, that this old crop rally drug new crop with it. We need to take advantage of this because if you look at the fundamentals uh, or the projected fundamentals, and we do get an increase in area in the U.S. And what I've been uh, looking at recently is we're going to get a pretty good increase in area in Africa. Um, 
it looks like India, well, it's a wild card out there, but the initial thought is that uh, the in, cotton prices in India, despite all the cash problems, uh, that's happened to all the crops, and cotton still looks relatively good. So we'd be looking at maybe an unchanged kind of a, of an area there. That, there's going to be quite a bit of cotton in the world, and we're going to have to depend on an increase in cotton mill use in order to, and I don't, I'm not projecting an ending stocks increase, it's just a decrease may not be as substantial as we uh, all are looking at right now, and we may get this kind of surprise of, oops, we're about unchanged or just barely down. And I think the market sentiment is that there's going to be another pretty good drawdown on stocks in the coming year. If that doesn't happen, I think that's going to hurt prices. And part of what's helped the prices near term, uh, John touched on this, is the polyester prices have gone up. And although they're still cheaper, it just makes cotton a little bit more competitive. That could be a kind of temporary um, phenomenon. Much of this has happened because uh, China has required part of these mills to uh, mills the um, polyester plants to shut down production simply because of the uh, the pollution factors there. And that will be fine. The government will be very um, adamant about that until it's a situation where they need the income and they need the economy boost, and all of a sudden they can crank that right back up. I don't know that they will. I just want to caution that this polyester price may not be a long-term kind of scenario, and we need to monitor that pretty closely. That could be another factor that could weigh on prices during the course of the year. Uh, all right, Kip. Uh, John gave us his estimate of, or his early estimate for acres of 11.5 million acres. What What are you looking for? We're looking for somewhere kind of eight to ten percent right now. Although we have not done our our survey. Um, gosh, I think it's January 24th. Our next survey comes out, and our production group uh, keeps that really well, close to the vest. I get the indication we're going to show a pretty good increase. I would. I would be shocked if we didn't show at least a 10% increase in area, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if a bit more than that. Well, also John gave us his his price range uh, outlook, which was wide, 63 to 78. What what are you thinking on on is that? Are you in agreement with that, or what are your thoughts? I'm very I don't know maybe misery loves company in this case, but before he said that, I was sitting here thinking I hope he doesn't talk about price range. Mine was 63 to 78, and I, I said, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? I, uh, that, that's, I don't know, John. We both, may both be in trouble here, and it is a pretty wide range. Uh, if you look historically, that's, you know, as far as new crop from here, uh, yeah, you can have at least that kind of uh, range. I, I think we may be in a scenario where we get a couple of opportunities um, to get some stuff done at relatively – but – I think that John was uh, stated it very well. You have to be nimble, and you have to, you know, kind of stiffen your back up and go. Well, I'm, I don't really want to do this because I think it's going hard, but I got to get some stuff done. I think that kind of volatility is going to be with us. Um, one thing I, we didn't talk about is that open interest is at very high levels for the uh, ICE futures contract right now. That's typically associated with high volatility. We haven't seen that. In relative terms, I mean, we've, we've got high volatility, but we've been trading this market in kind of a range here. I won't call it sideways to boring, but it's 
you know hasn't been what you typically associate with high high open interest. So there still may be some stuff to go on here. We just uh, to John's point earlier watch it very carefully and take advantage of, of these situations because I'm, I'm not sure we're going to have a whole lot of them. Okay. Any, any other any other thoughts? I, I guess uh, in uh, speculating about the extremes of it, uh, Kip was just saying about kind of world situations that might lead to lower prices. You know, there is so much spec open interest Right now, if if something was to deflate that for whatever black swan or even non-agricultural reason, the combination of that, the combination of planting 11.5 and and only having average abandonment and having average yields, there could be more pressure than would than 63 would support. I mean, 63 is what I think is most likely, but I think I think there is more downside risk you know, out there even remotely. So I. That would be in my calculation, too, if I was worrying about protecting it. Would take okay. just the opposite, uh, opposite side just to continue that conversation. Not the opposite side, but, but a factor that could keep that from being quite as dramatic as you might have mentioned, and that is the, uh, if we're talking about the same time frame, is the on-call sales position. Because yeah. I think these mills will be able to, uh, if we get some scenario to spook the, uh, the specs out of their position, I think these... Uh, a lot of on-call uh, sales will absorb quite a bit of that. All right. Any other last thoughts? All right. Well, let's uh, wrap it up. We uh, appreciate, John, you leading us today, and Kip, for your contributions. Uh, that uh, We want to also recognize and thank Bayer Crop Science for their support for all that we do. Uh, that uh, that is it for today. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next month. Thank you very much, Pat. See you later. Bye-bye.